some heathen crept in here. Oh, man. You know, if you put these on your car, people will think it's a reindeer. <laughs> Somewhere Bozo the Clown is missing his nose. Man, this is on here to stay. How many times can you... How long it took them to put their tree up if they did all this again? All right, whoever did this, you will face this at the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> all right, well. bunch of you know who did it too. You know, cover for them. It makes you, it makes you a partaker, participant in other man's deeds. Amen. Do we have a song tonight? Someone singing a song tonight? Okay. It was your chance. It's a constant fight. Just, just tries to creep in. Prince of the power of the air. That's got to be the dumbest song anybody ever ever wrote. Even if you even if you do the Christmas thing, that's just a stupid song. It's just the ox and lamb kept time. No, they didn't. Rump a pump, rump a pump pum. What drum sounds like that? No drum sounds like that anyway. Whole thing, the whole thing's stupid. All right, Bible conference, January fifteen to seventeen. First John chapter 3, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night. Be here, please. You have a great time. You really will. You have a great time. Learn so much from the Bible. Um, holiday tract smack down. That's when we go out and offer people tracts. If they don't take them, we smack them. We just, <laughs> you want this or you want this? <laughs> I don't know how it got that name. It just had that name for years. I think, I, I don't know, I don't know who started that. But anyway, uh, Bernard started that. I suspect he had something to do with these antlers too, but I can't, can't prove that. Might be, no? I saw that bag there this morning. I thought that maybe there's something in that bag. Anyway, you want them? You can take them home, put them on your, put them on your car. Put them on one of those pigs you got. Put, put, those, put those antlers that nose on one of those pigs. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's Tuesday at, at, at 10 o'clock. We'll try to get out uh, the rest of our uh, tracks we had printed for the parades. Just rough idea. Anybody planning? How many planning on going Tuesday? One, two, hands. All right. Good, good. Great. Okay, we'll take Two vans if we need them, one, one for sure. So, all right. Um, just a little something for the, for the uh, season. There's this rumor out. I'm just, uh, I'll say this and try, and try and say it in a, in a way. I hope you'll take this the right way. But there, there's this rumor about, it's, it's commonly reported by many that uh, Brother James really knows the Bible, and Brother James really, he really you want to learn the Bible, uh, Brother James really teaches the Bible, and pastors all over America want Brother James to come and preach and teach, and except when it comes to this whole Christmas thing, all of a sudden either I'm, either I'm really lost my way, or they just don't want to know. 
And I don't think it's that hard to find out uh, where the whole uh, winter solstice celebration came from. I don't think it's hard to find out where the decorating of evergreen trees came from. I don't think it takes a lot of common sense to know that snowmen and reindeer and elves and candy canes and all that has nothing, nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Whenever, whenever you think he was born, none of, none of this junk has anything to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. And when, when you see uh, uh, the palm reader's got a Christmas tree up in her shop and the, uh, you know, the, the atheist uh, woman, she got a Christmas tree in her house and pr proud of it. And uh, we know this stuff doesn't have anything to do with Jesus Christ, but, but here, here's, why, here's why, I'm, uh, why I'm saying what I want to say. Whether you celebrate it or don't celebrate it, I appreciate your willingness to come to a church and back a pastor and back church leadership that is trying to do what's right by the Bible, though it is rejected and controversial to the world and all the churches and all the preachers that don't want the fight that comes along with not doing this stuff. And I, I, I think there's a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that know that this thing has nothing to do with pleasing God or celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but they're not willing to risk losing people to tell the truth and not willing to risk losing people, so they just go along with something that they know isn't right and somehow convince themselves that it's not displeasing to the Lord to do things the Lord told you not to do. Now, having said that, I, I, I preach in churches. I, I stand on church platforms and preach, and there's Christmas trees sitting right there on a the platform. That doesn't make me a compromiser. It's their house. It's not my house. I come to your house, and you got, you got stuff in your house that I wouldn't have in my house. That's your business. I'm not going to come in your house and throw, throw your stuff away, uh, especially if you invite me over for dinner. I'm going to be <laughs> be as, as nice as I can be. But I, I thank you for allowing us to build a church on the Bible without having to do all this other stuff just so we don't have to explain why we're not doing it. And just so people don't think we're, we're weird because we don't go along with the things that the world is doing. And I appreciate that. Because there's, there's a lot of men would maybe take the same stand we take, but they'd get so much grief about it from the church that it, they wouldn't do it a second time. And so I, I just, I thank you for your, your um, support for, for what's right. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. Jesus was born in a manger. We believe that. Bible's pretty clear that shepherds came that night. We believe that. And the Bible's pretty clear that wise men came two years later and brought gifts to a young child in a house. And when they got there, they didn't exchange the gifts with each other. They gave them all to Jesus. And I've been proposing this as long as I've been saved. If everybody that says December 25th is Jesus' birthday, if they'd spend the money on him for his birthday instead of each other for his birthday, we could support so many missionaries and build so many churches, you, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. But uh, all the people that complain about they don't have any money to tithe or uh, give in the church offering, they got plenty of money for Walmart and Amazon, everything else when it comes Santa Claus time. So uh, just, uh, just one day, one day you're going to answer to God for how you spent your money. Just telling you, we don't pass a plate. We don't put the screws to you. We don't. We don't even ask you uh, for it or ask you why you didn't give it. But one day, one day you're going to stand before the Lord, and He said, "Let me see if I got this right. You had money for an inflatable Santa Claus <laughs> to put on your roof, and you walked into church every single week and couldn't drop a thing in the offering box. What in the world were you thinking?" Now, I've calmed down. I hadn't calmed down a lot. I'm just tired. I'm just... <laughs> one year, one year, I think uh, must have been uh, church like a day or two, 26, 27, something like that. And right up there in the front flower bed, I had two hands and two boots sticking up and a Santa Claus face and hat and a stake driven through his, through his, his heart buried out there. In the... See, y'all can't even laugh at it. I don't know if that's right. What do the kids think? The kids loved it. It was the parents. 
the parents had freaked out. And uh, one year had a Santa up on the roof with an arrow in his back. <laughs> he, he, he flew over and just shot him. And then I was preaching one night, and we had a, I'm standing where the baptistry used to be. And because uh, if you if you don't do Christmas, your church will just grow and grow and grow, and you have so many people, you won't you, you have to get rid of the choir loft and the pulp and everything else. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's exactly why, but any, anyway, so I'm up here preaching, everybody starts gasping and laughing, I look, and somebody in the, in the baptistry, they, they're inflating this Santa Claus, he, what was it, think 12 feet tall, I mean, a big old Santa Claus, and I was preaching on, e, on, on um, Ehud, how he ran that dagger into Eglon, and the whole thing was a setup, because they blew that they blew that big old Santa Claus up right there behind me, and then somebody ran up and gave me a dagger. <laughs> and I reenacted. I'd seen from judges. I just ran up, ran Santa right through, and, and he deflated because he's not a real God. He couldn't defend himself. And then some man comes in the office right of church over and says, I was deeply offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, this grown man, like 60-some years old, successful businessman, and he said, I just, I just think that's horrible. And what, what would the children think if they saw that? I said, they did see it. They loved it. They were cheering. They said, well, I, just, I can't believe you, you bring that kind of violence. And I, I don't want I, I to go to a church where I, I've got to look at that kind of violence. I said, you've got a TV in your house. He said, what's that got to do with it? I said, you ever watch violence on TV? You ever watch war movies or, or shoot 'em up movies or, uh, you know, crime show? He said, that's got nothing to do with it. I said, it, it does if you say you're offended by violence and you're going to go home and sit there and entertain yourself with violence. I said, look, if you want to leave, just leave. But don't, don't pretend like you're leaving because a man stuck in inflatable Santa Claus and you just can't cope with life anymore. You're going to have some kind of disorder because you saw an inflatable Santa Claus deflate. I don't, I don't, I don't get that stuff, man. <laughs> we got this, some, I don't, if you, look, I had, I, I've not, I got, here's what I did, I got the church list and I drove around looked at everybody's yard to see if they got anything. I, I, didn't, I don't do that stuff. But if you've got a light in your front yard that spins around and now your house is red and now it's blue and now it's green and now it's yellow, just leave it up all year. I mean, if it looks that cool, it'll look that cool in May or September or whatever. Just look at my house. It's a... Or you take a couple little pills and you'll think your house is doing that. You want to... <laughs> You won't even have to run up your electric bill. Just sit in the front yard and watch your house change colors. You know? like, <laughs> that's how they used to do it. <laughs> Look, honey, there's icicles on the house. Get back inside. <laughs> I better quit while I'm, while I'm behind. Um, Luke, where are we? Luke, anyway... Um, these people, you know, they say, well, have you finished your Christmas shopping yet? I was, I was done this time last year. <laughs> I bought everything I was going to buy. <laughs> if you do, if you do um, celebrate Christmas, you do hold the, you know, the present thing, the gifts exchange and all that. Let me just let you in on something, Dad. Why do you want your kid thanking a non-existent Santa Claus for what you spent your money on. I'm going to buy my kid a present. I at least get the hug. I at least get the thank you. If somebody's going to buy this kid's affection, it's going to be me. It's going to be hard enough to get those kids to love you. They get about you know, 11, 12, 13. It's going to be hard enough to get them to love you without you taking that love and, and directing it to some guy that isn't even real. Take it for yourself. Here, kid, this is from me. It ain't from Santa. It's from me <laughs> to you. If you don't appreciate it, I'll whoop you. 
<laughs> All right, Luke. <laughs> Start recording now. <laughs> Luke chapter 12, verse 35. <clears throat> Luke 12, 35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would, not, would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. We'll stop there. We're going to read down through verse 48 tonight, but we'll stop there for the time being. Father, uh, bless this uh, Bible to our hearts as we read it, and may you find us believing it. In Jesus' name we do ask and pray, and amen. This is very similar to a passage we look at in, in Matthew. It has to do with preparation, being prepared, being ready for the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to the earth, if you are a servant of the Lord and living on the earth and your hope and expectation is Christ returned to the earth. Now, I'm a son of God. I was a servant under a schoolmaster and that, that law brought me to Christ and I trusted Christ as my Savior and now I'm a, a son, praise the Lord, of God and I'm not looking uh, well, I am looking for the second coming, but that my hope is the rapture of the church when Christ comes for his own and receives them unto himself. It's very interesting, the wording here. It wasn't worded this way in Matthew, but it is worded very specifically here. Uh, like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Very, very important. The Holy Spirit says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I have espoused you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 says in that passage on husbands and wives, husbands love your wives and wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. And I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, there are those who don't believe there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming, and there are those who believe the rapture will take place at or about the same time as the second coming. But I want you to notice here that when the Lord returns, He is coming from the wedding. He's not coming to get His bride. He's not coming to marry His bride. He's coming from the wedding which means prior to his return to the earth, he must have caught away his bride, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation chapter 4, and married her, Revelation 19, Psalm 19, and now he's returning not to the wedding, but from the wedding. They've had the wedding in the Father's house in heaven, and now they've been dismissed to the fellowship hall, for a thousand year celebration, praise the Lord. So here's the Lord coming from the wedding. When he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, but he cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, uh, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. Very, very important passage for every parent, every husband, every pastor, every administrator of anything that needs to be administered. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords and will return as such. And when he returns with his bride, when he returns having been crowned with many crowns, when he returns to establish his kingdom on that throne at Jerusalem, notice he is doing so to gird himself and make those who are Alive it is coming to sit down to meet. And when he comes forth it will be to serve them. What a different idea. 
so many Bible-believing men have about being the head of their house. What a different idea so many women have about being the child raiser in the home. What a different idea so many pastors have about being the man of God. You notice when Jesus Christ the King comes back to set up his kingdom, he repeats the same figure that he, he did in that room when he took a towel and girded himself and took that uh, basin of water and washed the disciples' feet and he said, you, you don't know what I'm doing, do you? I am showing you how to be the greatest. And here he's coming back. You know what he's doing? Yes, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. But the Lamb is not sitting at the head of the table with people fanning him on one side and popping grapes into his mouth on the other side. He is making sure the guests are seated and he is going around the table and serving each and every one of them to make sure they are well fed and well provided for. And I would say to every one of you men that has a family, there's your, there's your lesson on being the king of the castle and the head of the home. Are they all comfortable? Are they all provided for? Are they all well fed? Can they all trust you to meet their every need? Mother, it's great. Okay, dad's at work. You're in charge. There's the kids. I'm going to raise them up. Okay, here's Christ. He's coming back. He's in charge. What does he do? He makes sure that everything is provided. He makes sure that everyone has everything that they need. You men, some of you young guys are studying for the ministry and you're going out there, bless God, I'm going to be a pastor. Meaning what? You're going to stand in the pulpit and boss people around? We'll see how well that works in this generation. You're going to stand up there and tell people what to do? That's not the example of Christ. You know what he does when he comes back and he has full authority? He's got a rod of iron. And he sets that rod of iron down beside his chair and he gets up out of that chair and he goes from person to person and says, would you like me to refill your glass? Would you like some seconds? How about, how about you? Have you had enough? I can get you some more. You know what he's doing? He is serving the subjects of his kingdom in his kingdom. He's not coming back so everyone can serve him. He's coming back to serve them. The time to serve him, according to this passage and the other cross-references, is while he's gone. We serve him while he's gone. When he comes back, he serves those who served him. Really interesting passage and really interesting take on the thing. If you, if you want to be... Uh, a leader in the church or a leader in the home or a leader someday in God's kingdom, serve. Serve others. Because in his kingdom, that's what he'll be doing and, and he's looking for people that will, will uh, act in, in like manner. Then verse 38 says, If he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. You notice how many times the Lord has made it clear he is not revealing any clues about the time of his coming. If people say, well, you, you can't know the, uh, the day and the hour, but you can know the time and the season, and we ruled that out from the book of Acts. He said you can't know the time or the season. But then people want to come up, well, you, you might not know the exact time or season or day or hour, but if you take this feast and this, this phase of the moon and, and this parable over here and, and this sacrifice, back, and you line it all up, you can make a pretty good guess about... What did Jesus give you to make pretty good guesses on? Okay, somebody's coming to your house. It might be between 9 and midnight, or it might be between midnight and 3, or it might be between 3 o'clock and 6 a.m. You know what that is? That's not a clue. That's the Lord telling you as clearly as he can, I'm not going to let you know when I'm coming because I want you to live every day in that expectation. You know, Jesus, if you could find from the Bible, Jesus was coming in October, rapture going to be in October. You think you'd live differently in October than you did September, August, 
How about July and June? I think so. I think so. If the Bible said that the rapture is going to take place on a Thursday, wouldn't you anticipate some slacking off on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? You know what he said? I want you to watch. That's what I want you to do. I want you to watch. I want you to be ready. And, and that's the passage there. And he says, verse 39, this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. So let me, let me address something I, I hadn't addressed in many, many years because we only come across it every, every so often. And again, it's your home. I'm not telling you how to, how to run your home. I'm not telling you what to do. But people have different ideas and, and, and different opinions about different things. If, a, if a, man, a thief is coming to your home and he's so bold and so confident as to come to your home to rob you when you're there, you know what Jesus teaches a man with a brain in his head would do? Have sufficient means to keep that thief from getting in his house. I don't know how you read that. That's how I read that. It's up to the goodman of the house to not let the thief break into his house. Okay? So some of you have different convictions about different things. Uh, all I'm telling you is biblically, biblically, if it's Pitbull 44, Samurai Sword, cameras, or your least favorite child on the front porch all night, It is biblical for a man to protect his home from harm and from invasion and from theft, and he is given liberty by the Lord to do so. Now, I wouldn't make it a church rule that everybody in the church has to have A, B, C, or D, but you sure couldn't get up in a church pulpit and tell people it is wrong for them to listen, listen, uh, socialists and communists, it is not wrong biblically for you to protect your private property. It's in the Bible. Jesus told his disciples, he said, okay, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven. You guys got swords? Well, and some, and some of them said, no, we don't have a sword. He said, well, go buy one. Now, he didn't tell his disciples to go buy swords because he was going to start a jihad or a crusade. Right? There's no warfare to spread the gospel. There's no killing people in Jesus' name. So why would he tell his disciples, if you don't have a sword, get a sword? If it's not to protect their homes and their families and their property. Some of y'all, you ought to be shouting amen. You've been wanting me to say this for, for years and years and years. Uh, so, uh, you do what you want. Um, we never had any guns in my house. My, my dad had uh, killed some people in the war, and it just haunted him. And he just, he didn't want to ever be around a gun. He didn't want us ever, ever around a gun. Um, so, uh, we didn't have any guns in our, in our home growing up. Uh, so, what about now? You think I'm going to tell you? What? We got dachshunds, man. We don't need guns. Yeah. <laughs> About 10 minutes, all those dogs barking, and you'll leave. It, whatever's in our house, it ain't worth listening to all that. <laughs> this crazy dog, man. She got this dog, and he, he's, all, he's out there. Was, the other day, uh, he's, he's all bowed up, hair standing up. He's all squared off, barking his head off, man. Her head off. It's a girl, right? It. I went out there, delivery truck, intruder, rattlesnake, I don't know, this plastic bag had blown across the yard <laughs> and got hung up on the barbed wire fence. That dog couldn't figure out what it was, but it was letting that bag have it, man. Wearing it out. Eventually it got loose and blew away to kill a turtle somewhere. 
that UPS truck will come down the driveway and that dog will square off, get in front of that truck and the truck driver will stop because that's as far as he can go, but the dog thinks it stopped the UPS truck, you know. And when that truck backs out, that dog will just strut back in the house. <laughs> Protected you guys. Anyway, so Jesus said in verse 39, um, you can buy a gun from your neighborhood gun shop or you can buy a dog from my wife or whatever, whatever you need. Get a camera from Bible Baptist Church. We got about, six, we got about 600 of them. <laughs> Let's say you one or two. It is up to you to not suffer your house to be broken through. That's what, that's what the Lord said. And you say, well, I just don't, I just don't believe in, in violence and all that. Well, I don't either. But if it's my wife or the guy trying to come through my window, Jesus gave me liberty to put my wife ahead of the guy coming through my window. Because he ain't breaking in to fix my breakfast, and she will. So... <laughs> so. All right, verse, verse 40. Be ye therefore ready also, <laughs> for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Okay, so does that make sense? If you don't know when somebody's going to come try and take your property or harm your family, you should be ready all the time. And if you don't know when Jesus Christ is coming, you should be ready all the time. All right, verse number 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord... Speaketh thou this parable unto us? <laughs> You're talking to me? <laughs> oh, Peter, he, he's always got something to say, and it's always just a, just a little off-center. Or even to all. Is this just a disciple thing, or is this an everybody thing, or is this church material, or kingdom material? What, what are you talking about? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat, in due season. Now there, there it is. That shows you we got the first paragraph correct because here's what he says. When I get back, I'm going to entrust stewardship in my kingdom to people who were serving me properly and watching for me properly. And what they're going to do in my kingdom is serve others. I'm going to take what is mine and give it to them, and they're going to take what I've given them and distribute it to others. Now, your best Bible picture of this, if, as you may recall, is a little boy that gave Jesus his lunch. And Jesus broke the, the, uh, those barley loaves and fishes and gave the 12 disciples, and the 12 disciples uh, uh, distributed them to the multitude. What did Jesus do? He gave to them... And those who were, had left all to follow him and serve him, they gave to others. That's, that's what's going to happen when the Lord gets back and, and, and in his kingdom. So if you want to anticipate and hope for a place of service or rule or a position in Christ's kingdom that he's going to set up, stop trying to get people to give you money and give you positions, and give you titles, and do things for you, and start serving people. Because what Christ does is He serves every one of us. You know that's true. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking, I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking of anybody. But you can come to this church for a year, and give no money, though you should, and witness to no one, though you should, and, and say no prayers, though you should. And you know what Jesus Christ will do? He'll bless you every single day. Every day He'll load you with benefits whether you serve Him or not. Because that's who He is and that's what He does. Now, if you want to be like Christ, what do you do? You serve other people. Every single day, you bestow blessings upon other people, whether they do anything for you or not. And so when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom, he is going to appoint places of service and authority to those who 
got with the program a long time before he ever got back. When he says, how they rule over many cities, see, this is what throws you guys off and messes up your marriages, and this is what throws guys off and, and, and messes up their ministries, because I'm going to rule over cities, meaning I'm going to get to tell everybody what to do. But you just read, ruling over cities means serving all the people in that city. Just like ruling over a house means serving all the people in that house. Man, you say that, it kind of loses the luster for some, some people. Well, I don't know if I want to rule if it's going to be just ministering to other people. Well, then you won't have to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so 42, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? So a steward is a ruler, a ruler is a steward. We preached on that uh, last summer, I believe. To give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant. Now watch. Whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. He's going to reward you with allowing you to continue to do what you are already doing. And this, this is real important here. Real important. We'll get, we'll get to the message here in just a little bit. So sometimes the ladies, they look at the Bible and say, well, you know, God wants me to... to be in subjection to my husband, and Lord wants me to raise my children and, and uh, pastor, you know, preaching ministries out and all this. What's for me to do? No, no, you don't understand. A thousand year kingdom of Jesus Christ, and you qualify for places of rule in that kingdom by serving others. Don't you, don't you see? You can just as easily earn a place of millennial honor by ruling your living room and dining room as you can governing as pastor of a church. He's not going to give you a, a big place of rule because you were a big, a big deal. He's going to give you a big place of rule because you were a trusted, faithful ruler. But if you guys took on a, I mean, genuinely took on a nursing home and ministered there like you would if you were pastoring a church, if you genuinely took on a, a, a juvenile detention center and ministered there like you'd pastor a church, if a mother would take on training her children up for Jesus Christ like she, she would if she'd pastor in a church, it's not about where you're being a steward, it's about being a steward. And the Lord said, look at the heart of that person. They live to serve others. I'll put them in charge of Philadelphia for a thousand years. And Philadelphia would be a lot nicer in the millennial kingdom than it is now. Don't let that, don't let that scare you off. So you understand the principle there? You see what he's saying? Okay, we've got to get to the message. This is supposed to be all negative message tonight, and I can't get to it. Um, it's all this holiday cheer. <laughs> 43, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. Now this is interesting. He didn't deny the Lord, and he didn't deny the coming. He just convinced himself it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. My brother and I made that mistake many times. Then dad got home from work early. And it went about like what we're going to read here. <laughs> My Lord layeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. Now this would be a good place to preach about drinking and getting drunk, and a good place to preach about you know, beating people up. But come on, keep it in its context. What is a servant supposed to do? Take care of other people. What are these people doing? They're beating other people. What is the Lord going to do when he gets back? He's going to sit people down at a table and serve them dinner. What are these people doing? They're eating up all the food and consuming all the drink for themselves. 
You see that? Now, are you saved? I'm saved. Are you saved? Lord's given me everything. He's given me everything. He's given you everything. Everything you could want spiritually, everything you could want or should want materially, Lord's given it to you. You know what he said? If you just sit around and consume that upon yourself, I'm going to be very angry with you. I want you to use what I've given you to be a blessing to other people. See that? I've got a life. I've got, I've got, I've got a place of power. I've got a place of authority. What am I going to do? Use the pulpit to beat you? I'm the head of my house. What am I going to do? Slap my wife around? I've got children. I'm in charge here. What are you going to do? Kick your kids up against the wall? Are you going to take your place of authority as a parent, as a father, as a pastor, and, and give of what God has given you so other people's lives can be blessed? That's what he's talking about. It's not just drinking and getting drunk. It's the Lord gave you enough drink for you and everybody around you. Why are you drinking all yourself? The reason why is they had lost their conscious expectation of his return. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and shall cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. <laughs> that's, that's pretty rough. Pretty rough. My, my, my father knew every verse in the Bible about discipline. I don't know that he got them out of the Bible. They just fell on him from on high and landed his heart. He had them all figured out. And every now and then, I mean, I didn't know this when I was a kid. I had to be older and, and experience some things. But every now and then, some things be really rough at work where he worked. And he'd get up in the morning and he'd be very unhappy, and he couldn't go to work and take it out on the people that had made him unhappy. So as he came down the hallway, he would stop at the room, 10 by 10. My brother and I shared a room, 10 by 10. <laughs> Such hardship. And he'd say, when I get home from work, it's going to be inspection. And if anything's out of place, there'll be tears. And he just went on, had his breakfast, left, went to work. Well, we went to school that day in fear and trembling. Got home that afternoon and went, and, and mom said, you better get that room clean. So we started cleaning. We had a dresser. He had three drawers. I had three drawers, stuff on top of the dresser. And we started fighting over, uh, he'd push some of his stuff, or stuff on my side of the dresser, and I'd push it back on his side. And he'd put some of his stuff on my side of the closet, and I'd push it back on his side. And so then I'd throw some of his stuff on the floor, and he'd throw some of my stuff on the floor. Then I pulled out one of his dresser drawers and dumped it. He pulled out one of his dresser drawers. And my mom, she just, she just watched let it all go. I mean, that thing escalated. We opened the window. We're throwing stuff out in the yard, throwing clothes out in the yard, toys out in the yard. As I was dragging his mattress out the front door, my dad's station wagon pulls into the driveway. He didn't cut us in sunder, but there were many stripes in the yard and then more in the house. And mom just, she just let it all go because she knew one day I would need to tell that story to illustrate this <laughs> passage and she was looking into the future and said this would be a good sermon illustration one day about <laughs> you know why he was angry because our disobedience showed a lack of respect for his authority Say, so is that how you looked at it when you were 13? Are you kidding? <laughs> I couldn't figure out why the room needed to be clean. 
He didn't go in it. He didn't sleep in it. We didn't have company coming over. Who cares if the room's a mess? Well, that night as we tried to find a comfortable way to lay down to go to sleep, we cared about the room being such a mess, and we didn't do anything like that again for probably two weeks. <laughs> but we knew he would come home. And there was no doubt about that. And we knew when he came home that he would discipline and chasten those who had not done what he told them to do when he went away. So how did we end up in such a bad situation? Because we didn't anticipate his coming when it actually happened. We thought we had more time to straighten things up than what we actually had. And because we weren't living in the anticipation that he could return at any moment, we made things a bigger mess than they were. Boy, some of you bless your hearts, you're saved, hallelujah. Been given the Holy Ghost and the Bible and spiritual gifts and a life of opportunity and a pocket full of money. And instead of living like the Lord could come today, you just keep making a bigger and a bigger and a bigger mess out of things because you think you've got plenty of time to fix it before he gets back. And when the Lord returns, here, here's what I want you to see, because the world doesn't believe this and, and most churches don't believe this. And will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. How about that? Now this is not Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. This is the second coming of Christ. This is not something going to happen to a born again believer. It's the second coming of Christ. But I want you to see again what we saw in Matthew two, three, four times. These are people living through the great tribulation and surviving to the coming of Jesus Christ and then being destroyed by the Lord when he gets back. Because though they did whatever they had to do to avoid the beast and the Antichrist and the mark and all the rest of that, they never had a right relationship with the Messiah. And when he returns, there is anger, and there is wrath, and there is punishment, and there is death. People are too careless about Jesus Christ. They, 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 they've had this Santa Claus mentality for so long, they've confused Jesus for Santa and Santa for Jesus. And they think when he gets back, there's no coal. It's all presence. And it's not true. You know, if you're an unbeliever, you know what the Bible said right there? If you're an unbeliever, that Bible said he'll cut you up and beat you with stripes and then throw you in the fire. I just don't think the Lord ever do that. And that's why it's going to happen to you. Because you don't believe him. You need to believe that. So it doesn't happen to you. Now let's go back to my uh, days of my youth. Here's why I was so bad. My brother and I both knew that our father believed in corporal punishment. My brother and I both knew that he was very good at meeting out that punishment. My brother and I both knew it really hurt. We just convinced ourselves he wouldn't come while we were doing what we shouldn't have been doing. And we paid a price for it. But it's short term, real short term. Some of you are toying around with Jesus Christ and it's worse because you believe the Bible, you're just not saved and you, you know there's a hell, you're just not saved and you know if you don't get saved he, th he throws people in hell who aren't saved. You know all that. 
You're just counting on the fact that he's not going to come until you finish being a fool. And you can play the fool for, you know, your teenage years and your 20s and your 30s. And you'll be like some of these people you know at church that get saved later in life. And you know, that's what I'll do. Except you might die. Except Jesus might come. Except you might fry your brains and never have another conscious thought. So you ought to live tonight like Jesus could come tonight. And if you're not saved, you ought to get saved tonight because you could miss the rapture tonight. And if you're saved and you've just been messing around doing dumb stuff and foolish stuff, then you have to be sinful stuff, just a total waste of your time and your talents and your life. What you're doing right now is going to determine what the Lord gives you to do and lets you do forever. You ought not be a fool about that thing. You know, there's people right now, come on, young man, young lady, you, you can listen 10 minutes, you can... You, you can handle it. Ten, come on, just ten minutes. Just. There are people sitting right here tonight, and they're doing okay. They're doing okay. But you know what they say? They say, I wish I hadn't dropped out of school. I wish I hadn't dropped out of school. It's cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of my life that I didn't finish school. Or they'll say, I, I, I wish, I wish, I wish I hadn't started that drinking. I wish I hadn't done those drugs. Oh, praise God, I'm off of it now. But it, ru it ruined so many things in my life. You, you, know what, you know what you're doing? Right now, right now, you are pondering, you are considering giving yourself to things that you will wish you had never done. And doing things to yourself, your mind, your body, your future, your finances, that you'll wish you'd never done. And if the Lord comes, if the Lord comes, before you repent and get right, you'll spend forever, forever, whether you're saved and, and lose out on reward or lost and lose your soul, you'll spend forever saying, can you believe I gave up all these things that God had to give for me for that stupid sin that my mom and my dad and my youth pastor and my preacher and their wives, and they all told me, don't do this. I just, just thought I would anyway. You know what, when Jesus gets back, you know, you know what he is there? He's angry. He's angry. He's angry because you didn't trust him enough to think it was worthwhile to do things his way. And he's angry because you disrespected him by saying he doesn't mean what he says. And dads, if you don't have rules or you don't enforce your rules, you're setting your kids up to think very wrong thoughts about the Lord. Because he's got rules and he'll enforce them when he gets home. All right, so 48, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes should be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given of him should much be required, and to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. Oh, what about him? What about her? You ever heard that thing, you know, so-and-so did it, would you do it? If he jumped out the window, would you jump out the window? All the teachers where I went to school would say, just because James Knox does it doesn't mean you have to do it. <laughs> Are you saved? You've been given a lot more than lost people have. You in a good church, learn the Bible? You've been given a lot more than people have that are waiting for Santa to show up in the fellowship hall tonight. Should the Lord said, I expect more of you. I expect more of you than I do of the world. I expect more of you than people going to good-for-nothing churches. 
you have Christian parents tried to keep you out of the world, keep you from doing the things they did that they wish they hadn't done, then God expects more of you than he does these people walking here 25 and 30 years old that don't know the first thing about Jesus Christ and how to live the Christian life. And he expects more of you than you have opportunity to gain more reward and greater rewards. So let's take advantage of that. Let's take advantage of being saved, being in a good church, having good families, having people around us care about us, and let's get out there and do, do more for Jesus than we would if we didn't have all these great opportunities afforded to us by, by Jesus Christ. Is that, is that fair enough? Now, I don't, I don't understand everything there is to understand about the rewards and the kingdoms and the crowns and the lands and all that. All I know is when you're in a place where those things matter, they'll be more important than they are here in a world where they don't seem to matter. Isn't that fair? Isn't that fair? So young people, this would just zero on you tonight because seem to be going that way. On the chalkboard, the teacher would write that there's going to be a, a test in three weeks on chapters six through eight in the textbook. And week one, we'd cut up in class. And after school, we'd go home, and we'd play ball till dark, and then we'd watch TV until bedtime, and then our parents would say, you get your homework done, and we'd say something like, yeah, yeah, get it done. We didn't care. And then second week, same thing. Third week, same thing until about Wednesday night, because the test is Friday morning. Guess what happens Wednesday night when you realize the test is Friday morning? You look at three weeks' worth of material and know you can't possibly learn it all. And then you walk into that classroom and that teacher puts that, that test paper on your desk and says, don't turn it over till I tell you to start. And then you, in those moments, atheist, agnostic, Jew, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, you are saying, dear God, please perform a miracle and give me the answers to whatever's on this test. And in that hour, in that hour, ball playing doesn't matter, TV shows don't matter, phone conversations with the friends don't matter, because it is time for you to be judged. And you turn that test over, and that test is not going to show how good you are at math. It's going to show what you've been doing the last three weeks. It's not going to show what kind of ability you had to learn rules of grammar. It's going to show whether or not you applied yourself or you played the fool. Isn't that right? And one day, you're going to be standing in line at the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to be saying, oh, dear God, please. Turn my life into gold, silver, and precious stones, and it, it, it ain't going to happen any more than happened over that history test. And, and Lord's going to turn that thing over, and what it's going to prove is not, not whether you had gifts or abilities or talents or opportunities. It's going to prove what you've been doing with your life. Did you prepare for your finals, or did you play the fool? And it'll matter then. It'll matter then. I don't, remember, I don't remember ever having a test three weeks out that mattered three weeks out. But I sure remember how much those tests mattered when they put them on that desk on test day. And I don't know how you get saved people to see the judgment seat of Christ or kingdom rewards, I don't know how you get them to see that it matters tonight. But I promise you it will. I promise you it will. So let's not play the fool. 
Let's, let's supply ourselves and let's do our best. Amen? Fair enough? Amen. All right. Father, thank you for the Bible. Help us, Lord, not waste our days and our months and our years, but to live as though you were coming. And, Lord, if you don't come tonight in the rapture, if you don't come soon in your second coming, you just give us more time to serve you and serve others and, and be ready to hopefully earn some rewards, hear a well done from the Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.